Hello, all, and welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown, your weekly look at the IT News of the Week. I'm your host, Rich Raffalino. I'm an editor with Gestalt IT. Joining me from across this great land of ours is the one, the only, the networking nerd himself, Tom Hollingsworth. Tom, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, Rich. Uh, it's a busy week, but uh, I always have time to talk about some news. Absolutely. But there's there's keynotes abounding. There are uh, virtual events virtualizing, uh, all sorts of uh, fun stuff. But So uh, we appreciate your time spending it here with the rundown to uh, get up to speed on the IT News of the Week. Let's get it started with a little something we like to call news or not. This is where... Just too much news to cover, so we're going to boom, boom, rapid fire, get Tom's take uh, to see if this is, in fact, news or not. First up here, uh, news from uh, Microsoft. They acknowledge several errors with printers caused by recent Windows 10 updates. Windows 10 versions 1903, 1909, and 2004 were causing previously attached printers to error out when printing, and a separate bug specific to version 1903 caused the computer's USB port to disappear from the printer portless. Uninstalling the update seems to have solved the issues, and Microsoft says it's working to address the bugs. Tom... Microsoft somehow managing to break printers in Windows. News or not? Not news. Drivers are hard. This has happened a lot. It's just, you know, do what you can do, man. <laughs> Next up here, OpenAI, uh, the uh, Elon Musk founded uh, uh, a, like AI theoretical research kind of uh, uh, company, uh, launched its first commercial product, an API in beta. It's its uh, uh, First time they're really trying to get money from out of customers, and that can provide a general purpose text in, text out interface for English language tasks, capable of generating dialogues, summarizing a block of text, uh, completing code based on function names, and even translating natural language into Unix commands. Developers can show the API a few examples to improve output, although it can work just kind of out of the box, if you will, and provide specific data sets for training or just doing human labeling feedback can help improve results. The API is available to qualified customers and is free for the the first two months. OpenAI also pledged to cut off API access for obviously harmful use cases such as harassment, spam, radicalization, and astroturfing. Uh, Tom, I, I always thought OpenAI was just going to license a bunch of stuff on the back end, but uh, news are now launching an API. Um, welcome to the party, Elon. You're about three years too late. Um, maybe this takes off. Maybe it doesn't. Depends on how much it costs, how useful it becomes. I don't see this being a game changer right now. But of course, I said that about his electric rocket company too. Does <laughs> does it seem like this is like a? Um, you remember the Google four one one service where it it turned out they were just using that to train their voice recognition algorithm? Is this them just getting like people to eventually pay them to help refine their AI text recognition? I wouldn't bet against it. <laughs> Uh, next up here, Amazon announced it's putting a one-year moratorium on the use of its recognition facial recognition service by police. Amazon said it's advocating for governments to introduce legislation about the ethical uses of facial recognition and, quote, we hope this one-year moratorium might give Congress enough time to implement appropriate rules. Amazon declined to say how many police departments use recognition and only lists the Washington County Sheriff's Office in Oregon as a recognition customer on the AWS website. This comes a week after IBM announced they're getting out of the facial recognition recognition business entirely uh amazon obviously taking a step uh not nearly as drastic tom news or not on uh, recognition uh one-year moratorium for police this isn't a step in the right direction this is a stumble off to the side you want to make people move things you want to actually have stuff happen for real you're going to need to do it for longer than a year you need to put some teeth in this amazon jeff 
I know you're listening in between running newspaper and a large shipping firm and that little side project that runs the entire cloud infrastructure for the world. Three years, men, 10 years if you don't get your act together. This is the thing. Make it hurt. Make it so uncomfortable for them that they have to make a decision. Remember the part of whole civil disobedience? Forget the civil part. You need to focus on the disobedience part. That's how you get people to set up and pay attention. And notably not listed uh, in this announcement, uh, governments, uh, other law enforcement, like it's it's specific to police. It's not law enforcement in general. So the FBI, uh, the U.S. government, you know, uh, anyone can, you know, city governments can still use this, just not specifically police. So to me seems also, yeah, pretty, uh, pretty uh, 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 token gesture, if you will. Uh, next up here, more on the tech side, uh, Google Cloud acquired Elastifile last year, and now we're seeing those assets integrated into their services. Google is rolling out a new storage tier called Firestore High Scale, which offers scalable uh, capacity and performance up to 16 gigabytes per second throughput and 480,000 uh, 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 IOPS, uh, that's input and outputs. I was trying to read the acronym and say the letters at the same time, with concurrent access for up to tens of thousands of users. Google offers uh, this as a fully managed service and will provide integration into high-performance computer workload management scheduling systems some of the press release was saying that they were you know oh we want to we want uh, we want to get some existing you know uh, on-prem storage users and move them over to the cloud this really does seem like it's it's just for hpc customers tom news or none not really news google integrates one of their acquisitions into a service that well quite honestly wait is this in beta if it's in beta, we'll we'll have it around for a while. If it's an actually released product, I give it two more years before they kill it. This is a real product, so enjoy it while it lasts. And uh, uh, Last File did present at uh, Tech Field Day 12, mm-hmm. I want to say, uh, back in 2016, 2017. Uh, really interesting stuff that they're doing to do kind of this uh, high-performance uh, concurrent access modeling. Um, uh, so uh, check out that uh, presentation at Tech Field Day if you want a little bit more, uh, techfieldday.com, if you want a little bit more information on how exactly this is working, some interesting stuff there. Uh, smart team that they acquired there. Uh, next up here, Turkish security researcher Yunus Kadirsi recently outlined a flaw in the universal plug-and-play network protocol called Call Stranger. This allows a remote and unauthenticated user to interact with devices that are supposed to be accessible only inside local networks, potentially to orchestrate DDoS attacks. The attack exploits the protocol's subscribe function, which is used to send and confirm notifications to other attached devices on the network when specific events happen. Call Stranger sends subscription requests with a forged URL that receives the resulting callback on the ba- and uses that as the basis for a DDoS attack, the forged URL being the one they want to DOS or DDoS. Vulnerable devices include Windows 10, kind of a big service area, the Xbox One, routers from Asus, Huawei, D-Link, and Cisco, Samsung Smart TVs, and tons of other devices. Basically, the only requirement is they have to be connected to the internet. Kadirsi notified the Open Connectivity Foundation, who maintains the UPnP protocol, and they've updated the underlying specification but said that vendors will need to implement their own patches. Obviously, uh, companies like Microsoft, Cisco, uh, all have an interest in doing this, but I imagine, for especially for a lot of consumer gear, even from big uh, uh, companies and stuff like that, these patches just may never be out there, especially once you get into you know, some, some of these weirder uh, uh, you know, OEMs that have affected devices. Tom, news or not? News, because we found another vulnerability in a protocol that really is riddled with vulnerabilities. But it's big enough with a huge enough surface area that it could be a problem. Uh, we're probably just going to have to shut off UPnP for a lot of things. But a lot of people have been shutting it off for years because it doesn't really work the way we want it to. So go patch your stuff or shut it down if you can't. 
<laughs> Tom, I was expecting like a a uh listen to me. Just turn off UPnP. It's never worth it. I was expecting that, Tom. So uh, I would I would honestly be shocked if people were really running it anyway. That's that's how broken UPnP is. And finally here, uh, speaking of things that aren't broken, Box announced detail, or excuse me, uh, detailed updates to its Relay workflow engine. If you're not familiar with this, Relay was launched in 2019 as a way to standardize content review and approval workflows by moving them out of email, where according to uh, Box, 80% of these kind of interactions take place and closer to storage. The update now makes it easier to set up these kinds of workflows with pre-built templates for 24 lines of business like sales, marketing, HR, legal, and finance. Basically, anytime you just need to do uh, some kind of uh, content review, whether it be, you know, contracts, that kind of stuff, uh, kind of be able to do that without uh, kind of the, the pain of email. Uh, Box also integrated file request into Relay, which can now trigger an automated handoff between sending and receiving files securely from third parties and Box Relay workflows. They don't use the word no code, but this has a very no code-ish kind of feel to it. Tom, news or not? This really isn't news. This is them trying to get in on the uh, the DocuSign people, but also, hey, we're going to get rid of email. Let me email you about that. <laughs> it's, I, I get that people use email for things that shouldn't be used for because that's the most you know prevalent tool on their laptop. And it's easy to just be like, hey, does this look good? Yes. Okay, we'll send it back and we'll approve it. I don't know how many people are going to be wanting to jump through hoops here unless it's a legal department or someone who really wants to make sure that there's a chop on there that covers their butt. Yeah, and it, it is interesting that this comes as Dropbox announced that they would be only using DocuSign, which they have acquired uh, for their stuff going forward. So, you know, uh, maybe kind of heading that off. Uh, evidently, this was a requested feature due to uh, COVID-19, uh, you know, remote work and stuff like that, making this kind of review uh, even more necessary. So interesting stuff there. Uh, first up for our main discussion stories here, Tom, I uh, wanted to jump in on Intel's new Tiger Lake mobile CPUs. Uh, they'll be the first to integrate the company's control flow enforcement technology. The specification for CET was first published in 2016 and looks to put in controls on silicon to prevent malware or at least disrupt malware's operation. One feature to do this is called ShadowStack, which stores a copy of an app's order of operations used in their code to a secure part of the CPU. This is then used to compare uh, what's actually running in on the system when that app is running uh, to see if malware has impacted. That's kind of a common uh, vector for malware there. The other is indirect branch tracking, which provides additional protections against apps using CPU jump tables to read memory locations outside of what is is using. Kind of a, a pretty typical side channel attack there. Intel plans to include CET in all upcoming server and desktop chips apps. Well, these mobile Tiger Lake chips just happen to be the first to get it. Intel has uh, had no end of side channel attack exploits over the last few years. Does this help turn the tide here, Tom? Remind me again how these chips are going to be able to run all this additional processing stuff with recreating shadow stacks and all these other things. And yet every time I ask you to patch Spectre and Meltdown, you claim that the world will fall down if you do, because it's going to cost you so much CPU performance. I mean, I get it. These are hard things to solve because what we've basically been doing is we've been trying to drag race CPUs forever to have the biggest numbers or the best performance. And who cares if you could accidentally read, I don't know, the entire contents of registers and steal data from it. It's still really fast. No, this this is closing the barn door after the horses have already gotten out. We know that Intel chips are super vulnerable to these kinds of attacks because of their very nature. We know that people are going to continue to exploit them going forward because who's going to completely rip and replace all the Intel CPUs in their organization when these are released and has all this stuff? Uh, nobody, because these things have a shelf life. Guess what, guys? Too little, 
too late. Fix your problems. Don't give me features that patch them. The interesting thing is that since they've been working on it since 2016, you know, they've been working with Microsoft and, you know, major app vendors to kind of integrate these because they, they, I guess there does need to be some software optimization uh, for some of the stuff to run. Um, so, I mean, good that it will be available on like, you know, Windows Insider Builds are already putting this out. It'll be in the mainstream Windows releases kind of when these chips start to hit the mainstream. That's good. Uh, but also in 2016 shows that Intel obviously didn't know about Spectre and Meltdown or, or they're never going to publicly admit to knowing anything like that, but that they knew that these kind of side channel security stuff yeah. uh, were going to be an issue down the road and trying to head that off. Unfortunately, they couldn't get that out two years earlier uh, to at least save a little bit of face. All right, next up here, a uh, really interesting story. Uh, this is, we're using GitHub as kind of the frame to this, but this is, we've been seeing this kind of across the industry. Tom, I definitely want to talk about it. Uh, GitHub CEO Nat Friedman announced that the code hosting service would be switching from using the word master to main to denote the main branch of a deposit or a repository. The move comes as other projects have worked to remove to, uh, terms from code libraries with either ties to slavery or racially loaded terms. The Android open source project, the Go programming language, Grammarly, the curl down download utility are among a host of companies, organizations, and projects that have all changed uh, things like whitelist and blacklist to allow list and blocklist. And LinkedIn developer Gabriel Casapo said on Twitter that he's working to update Microsoft's internal libraries to make similar changes. Uh, this isn't the first time we've seen something like this. In fact, the Drupal CMS project was one of the earlier adopters of uh, kind of rethinking the language that they're using, having changed master and slave terminology with primary replica in 2014. Tom, uh, obviously, uh, this is kind of a reflection of what is going on in the kind of the larger social scene here and, and kind of reevaluating um, how we are uh, framing things that I think we we take as as far too common or, you know, we just assume, oh, it's always been like this. So we always have to to use this kind of language. I think it's really interesting, Tom, that one of the things that always comes up with the tech field day community is, you know, words matter, language matter. And, you know, uh, you know, I can think of nothing better than obviously the on premise on premises uh, kind of <laughs> distinction. That is very trivial. Right. Uh, ultimately. Yeah. But people are super passionate about that because they make the argument that words matter. Words can be confusing. Be precise. And I would argue that things like uh, master slave, uh, you know, blacklist, whitelist, especially if you're coming at that from a, uh, an, uh, you know, an ESL background, which a ton of people in IT are doing, you know, th coming from a US centric perspective, those are not descriptive terms. Those are terms that have an implied meaning that you kind of have to have explained. I think outside of any social uh, connotations, which I applaud, I applaud all of these projects for, for moving forward on this, especially Drupal. I didn't realize that they had kind of moved to change that terminology. Um, that this is this is the there is also a technical benefit to that which I think um, isn't being talked about. Obviously, the primary importance of this is kind of on uh, you know rethinking how we are framing these types of terms. But Tom, I'm interested in your thoughts on this. This is something that we've had for a long time, but I've never felt 100 percent comfortable with. And I I used to do this for a living, working for Gateway Computers, mm -hmm. and I would have to p have people go into the BIOS, and I would have to have them check on their IDE drives. One of them is the master. One of them is the slave. Um, that made me uncomfortable in 2003, to be quite honest with you. Uh, and it doesn't even describe the right operation of that drive. It's not like the drive at the second on the IDE chain is completely subservient to the drive that's the, the one that's in the primary position. They're just chained together. So it, it's not even that you're using the term correctly. I mean... There could be an argument made for whitelist and blacklist, 
But again, you're not describing what those lists do. You're just putting colors on them. It could be red list and blue list. It could be purple list and pink list. The problem is, is that so much terminology that we use in English is loaded and not just existing terminology. There's a lot of terminology that's being transformed on a daily basis to carry more loaded, you know, meaning behind it in ways that we couldn't possibly begin to imagine. And so I will admit, yes, I have used those terms before, master, slave, whitelist, blacklist. I'm sorry. I should be better. We should all be better. Find a better way to use that terminology. Primary, secondary, publisher, subscriber, you know, allow list, block list. Be specific and be aware of what you're saying. I mean, I'll just say it. We would never call it cracker list. Do you know why? Because that's a horrible thing to call it. Don't do that. Be aware of what you're doing. Yeah, it may sound funny. Yeah, it may make people in the office chuckle. But if you're afraid to show it to somebody, you're doing the wrong thing. All right? Let's be better people. Let's be more aware people. Look at what you're doing. And I applaud everybody who's doing this. But we all need to go through this. And I'll be honest with you guys. If you're doing it and you're grumbling about it, I can't believe I have to change all the references to whitelist. You're not any better than if you were using it in the first place. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, just from my interactions with the community, I expect everyone that has a passion for on-premise, on-premises, and, and I'm not using that as a joke. If you are passionate about that, you should be passionate about this because words matter. Langu yeah. The language we use matters. And it, you know, it, it may not impact you, but that doesn't mean it doesn't impact someone or, uh, you know, uh, Again, this is again this this goes into a larger conversation that this show is is not the medium to necessarily have, but <laughs> certainly certainly not. But the, it's a, it's about making IT a a, a place uh, that's that welcomes everybody, and uh, if we can make our language better and and make IT better as a result, uh, both both on a technical level on a cultural level, uh, I, I'm I'm. I applaud these, like I said, like you said, Tom, I applaud all these projects for doing this. We all need to be doing that and we all need to be doing mm -hmm. better. Absolutely. Yeah. Other people that need to be doing better, uh, T-Mobile, they had a major voice <laughs> in data service outage. Didn't mean to make that transition, but I made it anyway. Uh, in yeah. the U.S. on Monday from a, uh, 12 p.m. Eastern time to 1 a.m., so a 13-hour outage, widespread enough that other online services were being reported as down because people couldn't connect. I saw a bunch of panicked people saying that the U.S. was being DDoSed. Uh, by, uh, by, you know, nefarious organization X, uh, whatever. Uh, at the time, Cloudflare CEO Matthew Prince attributed the outage to changes to their network configurations that created, quote, a cascade of failures across voice and data networks. T-Mobile CEO Mike Sievert said the event was triggered by a leased fiber circuit failure from a third-party provider in the Southeast, aka Don't Blame Us. T-Mobile's network redundancies didn't seemingly do anything, resulting in an IP traffic storm that spread from the southeast to create significant capacity issues across the uh, IP multimedia subsystem core network uh, that supports uh, voice over LTE calls. Tom, were you impacted by this? And a 13-hour outage, I, I, I don't seem to recall any other operator. And doesn't this make you feel great that we have less competition in the U.S.? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Thank you, Ajit Pai, for making this a, a, a sunny, wonderful place for competition. Um, sorry, I had to get my dig in there. Uh, okay, I wasn't impacted directly. In fact, I didn't even know what was going on. I heard some rumblings that T-Mobile is having some, some outage things. And then, of course, everybody passed around the whole, you know, United States is under massive DDoS attack. 
here's the thing. First of all, when Cloudflare has to tell you you've got a problem and what we think it is and they're right, quit it. You're obviously not helping. Second of all, I read the blog post where the T-Mobile guys owned up to it. Yeah, it was a leased fiber line that caused a problem. Okay, great. The genesis of your problems was not your fault. Everything that happened after that for the next 12 hours was. You didn't test your redundancies. You didn't test your failover. And here's basically what happened in a nutshell for you non-networking people over there. They had two lines. One of them went down and everything failed over to the other one. Well, then it failed and it failed to the next one. And it was a cascade failure all the way through the network that just slowly started taking everything out because it turns out that when you run two lines and you have load balanced 50% of the traffic that you have running across them, across both of those circuits, but the circuits aren't rated to hold 100% of the traffic in the event of a failover, you don't have a failover problem. You have a bigger problem. Because if all of your traffic fails to one of those circuits and then it goes down because it can't handle the load, you're not redundant. You're playing a shell game and you need to stop. And all of you people out there that run service providers or content providers of any kind, I got bad news for you. You have to plan appropriately. We are notorious in the networking community for saying, when I say buy one, I meant buy two. When I said, when I meant buy this much capacity, what I really meant was buy twice as much because you need to fail over in the event that one of those things goes down. And this is a common problem. Buy as much as you need right now, cross your fingers that nothing like this ever happens, and then eventually we'll get more money to buy just enough to handle what we're already running anyway. Yeah, uh, th this is the step two where step three is profit uh, after that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I mean... I, I, just based on what we know, this this seems to be just an under, I mean, not just, this seems to be fundamentally, like you were saying, an underinvestment in infrastructure rather than, you know, perhaps poor, I don't want to say poor configuration, but poor architecture in in general, like a, a, on a principle, more of on a principled level, it just seems to be uh, uh, underinvested. Yeah, yeah. Well, here, here's the terminology you can use for people who are not up in the networking. This is replacing one of the tires on your car when it goes bald, instead of replacing multiple of them so they all fail together at the same time, and hoping that that next tire that's going bald will get you down the road just a little bit longer until you're forced to replace it. Well, here's what happened to T-Mobile. One tire blew out, which caused the next tire to blow out, and pretty soon, you don't have enough spares to fix yourself. Unfortunately, you can't hire a network tow truck to get you to the next location, and they got, well, they got caught with their pants down. So hopefully, John Laguerre gets off Twitter for about five minutes, goes in, yells at some people, and fixes this problem. He's I don't know. Maybe you could. He's up the maybe, door. He does not care. He's gone. It's all, show it's up again, dude. Somebody <laughs> take half of their marketing budget and invest it in the network. You know, the thing you're marketing. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's not a great look, uh, especially you know uh, again considering the the recent merger and everything like that, which seems to me like I you know we're, we're being promised that it's going to help with five G build out, but maybe they need to, to also <laughs> maybe do some reinvestment in the four G side uh, as well. Uh, we're running a, a little long here, Tom. So I just really wanted to really quick just mention uh, we heard from Bloomberg's Mark Gurman that Apple is set to announce uh, the transition to ARM for Macs uh, at WWDC on June 22nd. Uh, not This is not their first rodeo. They've done it twice before from Motorola to PowerPC, PowerPC to Intel. Uh, that was back in 2005. Just real quick, are you expecting to see a different, a fundamentally different strategy from them in terms of kind of mirroring how they made the, the shift from PowerPC to Intel? Or uh, do you 
you have any any kind of thoughts on how that's going to be managed? So the short version is I absolutely expect to see some form of an ARM-based Mac architecture coming. I would expect maybe within two years we're going to see that transition. Uh, if you look at the handwriting on the wall, which, by the way, is 18-foot-tall capital letters, Apple's telling you exactly what they're going to do. All of the unification of running iPad apps on a Mac, that's all about ARM. We've known that for a year. All we're waiting for is the hardware to ship. Um, I would expect that there's going to be a transition period. I'm going to expect that they're, that WWC is going to be all about enabling developers to start creating uh, copies of their apps that can run on both platforms. I expect Intel to crap their pants because that is their largest portion of their, their revenue right now. But uh, there's a great article at Stratechery that uh, Ben wrote about basically how we got to where we are. And the short answer is Intel did this to themselves. They beat that cash cow. Yeah, they milked that cash cow one time too many. And here's where we are. And Apple said, you know what? Forget it. They bought Intel's modem business because they're tired of relying on other people. They're tired of relying on Intel to do things that aren't happening. You know what? We'll just do it ourselves. The problem is when other people do it themselves and screw up, they can come crawling back. Apple's never going to come crawling back. Intel lost this. So I would expect we're, by 2022, all brand new Macs will be running ARM-based chipsets. We'll have unified applications running across the entire set. Um, the lines will be significantly blurred, and Intel is going to be in the crapper. Uh, over, or, or, do, we think, do you predict we'll see a ARM Mac release end of 2020? No, uh, 2021 at the earliest. They need to ramp the architecture. Uh, but we will hear about it. So WWC 2020? Get ready for ARM. WWCD 21, here's the Mac you've been writing apps for for the last 12 months. Gotcha. That uh, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and finally here, uh, wanted to talk real quick. I didn't change the lower third. That's okay. Uh, Cisco announced that its SecureX security platform will be generally available on June 30th. Cisco first detailed SecureX back in March and positions it as a way to unify security visibility from Cisco and third-party devices, analyzing data across things like endpoints, cloud, network, and applications. They certainly doesn't lack for ambition. SecureX is now in, uh, integrated across the company's entire security portfolio, and it just kind of, you know, it comes, hey, you turn it on, pay the license fee, you got SecureX. The company is also announcing that it's integrated its SD-WAN by Vitella into Cisco on umbrella to effectively block malicious destinations before making a network connection. DNA Center is getting endpoint identification at scale to support uh, for with support for logical groupings of endpoints based on analytics, as well as the ability to analyze traffic flows between groups of endpoints to help design segmentation policies. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, I, Cisco, f uh, in, in some ways following a lot of trends here, but this is Cisco having it integrated basically uh, you know, if you have some, hey, if you have some Cisco in installed, you have SecureX uh, potentially available to you. How big is this, I guess, for the overall security market, Tom? And do you see anything, I guess, kind of missing from this initial general availability? So this is uh, this is the the completion of the drive to get away from selling boxes and selling software. Yeah. That's all. This is SecureX integrating all their software pieces together, which honestly is something that's needed to happen for years. Um, I don't necessarily know there's anything missing right now, but I don't really know that there's anything that should be happening either, uh, just because, you know, it's it's an unknown unknown. I don't know what I don't know. And I'm waiting to see where Cisco takes this. Obviously, we're, we're still two weeks from GA, and, and I'm sure we're going to see a flurry of patches within the next, you know, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. 
Um, we're actually going to be talking to the SecureX team tomorrow at uh, the Tech Build Day Virtual Cisco Live Experience. So if you want to head over to techbuildday.com, check out the schedule. Ben Greenbaum, who's been doing an amazing job with this and who has the most epic beard at Cisco, will be presenting. And we're going to hear a little bit more about this. And I'm fully expecting some of our delegates to ask some of those big questions. Um, but, you know, this is something that Cisco needs to compete with the Palo Altos of the world, with the VMware NSXs of the world. Uh, I welcome it and buckle up because it's going to get fun. Yeah, this, the, the timing of this, uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't feel like Cisco is late in this regard. I mean, certainly, you know, security ain't going anywhere in the enterprise. And, and, and Cisco has certainly has the market share to at any point when the, if this was released. But this, I, this feels like the right time where uh, technologies like micro-segmentation, uh, you know, their, their SD-WAN portfolio is, is extremely mature, I would say. It, it is pretty mature at this point. I don't know, extremely mature seems seems too much. Uh, but, but, you know, they're, they're kind of combining these technologies that maybe three, four years ago were might have been seen as emerging or, or uh, you know, uh, uh, more experimental, more on the cutting edge. Uh, they've, they've made some kind of smart acquisitions to bring the right stuff into the fold and releasing this out there. I mean, I guess if you're if you're a Palo Alto, if you're uh, you know one of the uh, I don't even want to call Palo Alto a smaller security company, but if you are not Cisco and you do secure network security, how worried are you about uh, you know uh, all of a sudden having a very easy sales pitch from Cisco here? Uh, I'm not worried at all, honestly, because uh, there's a lot of other factors that go into this, and that licensing cost is going to be a huge aspect to it. But this also means you need to get your house in order right now. Um, you have a little bit of time. Figure this out because you're going to be fighting a war on a front you really might not be capable of doing. The the one th- piece I haven't seen in some of the initial announcements, and I'm sure it's out there, but is in terms of integrations, you know, I know a lot of you know, the, the security ecosystem is all tied into the logging ecosystem, which is all tied into, uh, you know, event management, which is all tied to APM and stuff like that. So, there's a lot of, you know, security, I think, is it, we're realizing the nuance in that. And I think this is a reflection of that, that you really it's very hard to just be a security company that's not concerned about security. It's hard to be a security company that's not concerned about application performance. You know, uh, all of these uh, kind of exist in this convoluted ecosystem. I'm I'm curious in what kind of integrations at launch that there will be for this, um, you know, so that, you know, you can feed in your your Splunk feed or something like, you know, something like that uh, to kind of augment existing solutions that a lot of uh, companies have. Yeah, I, I, I'm i just wait and see approach. Uh, Cisco's already already had a good security story, but I want to see what this chapter brings. Yep. So check it out, techfieldday.com uh, tomorrow, Tom, uh, and looking forward to that. Uh, bring your questions. Um, you can watch watch the live stream. Uh, That just about does it for uh, this episode of the Gestalt IT Rundown. Tom, thank you so much. Went a little bit long. Uh, Appreciate your time. Where can people find more of your great stuff if they are so inclined? Uh, Honestly, just head over to gestaltit.com. I've been writing a lot of articles recently, uh, especially some of our recent events. Uh, Also, uh, if you want to check out some of the stuff that I do for my day job, uh, techbuildday.com starting tomorrow. We're going to have some Cisco Live presentations. Uh, We've also got some more great stuff coming up as well. Uh, just stay tuned. Check out the, the list of events. You're not going to want to miss anything that we're talking about. Absolutely. Uh, and make sure uh, you also uh, subscribe to the Gestalt IT YouTube channel if they're watching it here or watching it on Facebook later. Uh, YouTube.com slash Gestalt IT video. We have all sorts of great uh, video series that are putting up uh, several ones a week now. Uh, so check those out, including Checksum, out every Monday. Until the next time we meet, for Tom, for myself, for all of us here at the Gestalt IT family, here's wishing you and yours to have a super sparkly day. Thank you.